0: Happy Star Trek Day! Woo! It's, it's that time of year. Woo! Y'all know it, love it, dread it. Some of us dread it. I mostly love it because it's, it's our favorite day. Woo! Because today, on a Star to Steer we're doing another 10 forward episode. This is 10 forward number was it 26? Yep. Wowzers! And it's fanfic day. Hooray!
1: Hooray. Zoox.
0: So we teased this a while back. Yep. We drew names out of hats. This is Ames. I drew Chakotay. This is
2: Caitlin. I drew Janeway.
3: Jake, I drew Tuvix.
2: Nope. Tuvok. Yes.
1: This is Chris, and I drew you like one of my French girls. Nice.
2: What did you really get? Harry. Oh, that's a good one. It is.
0: Yeah, so we drew names out of hats. I think it it was a day our friend Rossi was helping us out. Rossi, thank you again. He was the hat. Thanks, Rossi, for being a
2: great hat. Great hat. And
0: now we have fanfics for you for the anniversary of both Star Trek and also for our freaking podcast. I know. This is our sixth anniversary. And our fifth fanfic, right? No, it's our sixth fanfic, isn't it? How I does the math work? I
1: think we did two for some series. Wait,
0: Hang on, I have them all in front of me. One, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah, we've done six. Yeah,
3: wow. So this is our seventh?
0: Wait, but this there's... is our sixth. There are two we did two for Deep Space Nine. Oh. Because we did the teleplay okay. one mm. and then we did the end of series one.
2: Oh I forgot about literally all of that. Cool. Who are you people? <laughs> Duh. Duh.
0: Yeah, so again, welcome y'all. We're going to read you some fanfics. Some of them are pro-style, some of them are teleplay-style, because we can't deal with consistency on this podcast. Some some of them were
2: good, some of them were written by me.
0: Speaking of ones written by Caitlin, I know Caitlin said you'd go first.
2: Get it over with. So take it away, Caitlin. Set a low-ass bar. Mmm, ass bars. Sucks to your ass bars. (laughs) That's right. Jumping right into it. We're in Tabula Rasa, motherfuckers. Yes, get it. Is that what it means? In Mm -hmm. the middle? Great. Okay. I say in media res. That too. Yeah. That's it. That's where the captain and Tom must be, said Harry, looking down at the green planet below. We have to get down there and find them before it's too late, if it isn't already too late. There came then an unexpected sound. The auditory equivalent of a shimmer you see out of the corner of your eye. A tall figure began to appear from seemingly thin air. "'Captain, intruder on the bridge,' said Tuvok. That doesn't sound like Tuvok at all. "'Captain, intruder on the bridge.' (laughs) "'I can't. "'Red alert,' said Chakotay, "'his hand reaching for his phaser "'as the figure became fully formed, "'solidifying before their very eyes. "'You know, like a trans- "'like a teleporter does. "'Like a transport. "'Y'all know. "'The monster that stood before them "'was too horrible to bear. "'It looked as if some foul creator "'holding aloft two golems of malleable clay "'smashed them together.' The legs completely asymmetrical, one thin and muscular, the other broad and padded. The torso too wide, and the head. My god, the head. Imagine if you can that the head of a humanoid apex predator is akin to a baseball, and that the stitching runs from under the chin to behind the ears. Now imagine that you took two faces in this baseball formation and stitched them together. The flat, empty eyes and mouth of Neelix was crumpled and formless, while Tuvok's face, once handsome and smooth, was wrinkled and scrunched until there was almost no recognizing him. Recognizing him. Almost. My god, Tuvix? What in the world happened to you? And how are you here? Chakotay was shocked by this unexpected reappearance. He knew Tuvix was no more. Neelix and Tuvok had been restored months ago. So how? I hate myself for this. My name is Neelok. Yes! (laughs) (laughs) In our universe, Captain Janeway's attempt to separate us back into two entities known as Tuvok and Neelix was... Unsuccessful. He took one menacing, awkward step forward. <laughs> it's fuck you. <laughs> I thought that
1: was funny. You described it as having uneven legs, and then its walk was bad. It was a good
2: detail. Oh, I thought you were laughing because you were thinking of me with my broken foot and my twisted ankle. No, I
1: appreciated that you set up a j- joke and paid it
2: off. Well, oh, it wasn't meant to be a joke. This isn't supposed to be funny, okay? This is serious. So tell us the jokes. <laughs> <laughs> Even when I try, it le- <laughs> it left us broken, mangled. The pain was so strong. It felt like we would, spe- we would separate our bo- soul from our body. It left us quite insane. This <laughs> he said with an odd giggle, one that was cold and harsh. There was nothing of the good-natured Neelix left in that laugh. Hmm. And what are you doing here? What could you possibly hope to accomplish by coming to our universe? Asked Chakotay. In my universe... Janeway was killed by a well-planned Kazon attack, Neelok continued. (laughs) Here's the jokes. It would have to be an alternate universe for the Kazon to plan anything well. There it is. (laughs) Quipped Harry before falling silent under Chakotay's glare. She was killed by that bitch Seska spat Neelok before I could claim my revenge for her turning me into this monstrosity. And as a result, I've spent years trying to get to this universe to to ruin Janeway as she ruined me. "'And exactly how did you manage to cross from one universe to another?' asked Tuvok, his arms crossed in front of his chest. "'Even with a mind as sharp as my own, I imagine solving such a problem would prove to be quite... difficult.' (laughs) "'Well, it's a very amusing story, actually,' said Nevok with another sharp giggle. "'Unfortunately, I'm on a tight schedule and don't have the time to tell it to you.' (laughs) Read, the the author didn't have time to write it. "'Maybe another time. (laughs) For now,' Nevok pulled the disruptor he'd somehow kept hidden, Grabbing Harry Kim and pressing the barrel to the terrified Ensign's temple. That's right, Harry, you're my bitch. Yep. If you don't give me a shuttle and safe passage to the planet's surface, I will ensure that Ensign Kim's face is a sight worse than my own and that it's painting the walls of your ship. Don't think of calling my bluff. Your captain already has the blood of Tuvok's. Tuviks on your hands. Do you want to be murderers too? Captain, I wouldn't test him, said Tuvok, addressing Chicote. There's cli- Obviously, I've already established that. There is clearly none of the logic of his universe's Tuvok left in him. I know Tuvok had the same thought, said Chakotay, eyes locking with Harry's. Harry, don't worry. We are going to get you back. I promise whatever it takes, we will get you back. Harry Harry had heard that shit before. (laughs) 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 Motherfucker, said Harry. (laughs) Motherfucker, said Harry. Nevok, sensing his opportunity, walked backwards towards the exit of the bridge, dragging Harry Kim along with him. Don't get any funny ideas about being heroes, said Nevok. If you come after me, I promise you, Harry Kim dies. Nevok pulled Harry along through the bridge doors, which opened for him automatically, and started heading for the shuttle bay, you know, wherever that is. "'Whatever you have planned, you'll never succeed,' spat Harry, his voice thick with effort as he struggled against his captor's surprisingly strong grip. "'They'll never let you do anything to harm the captain.' "'If they hesitated to take me on the bridge, do you really think they'll risk your life becoming after me?' "'No, Harry. I'm going to get my revenge, and no one can stop me,' said Nevok, another trilling giggle fleeing from his lips. "'The two entered a shuttle, then, and Nevok (laughs) ordered Kim to fly them to the planet's surface.' He started their trip grudgingly. The Disruptor held to his back the entire flight. He didn't dare do anything to stop him, knowing that his ma- his life would be meaningless to the half-crazed half-man. Or double-man, I guess. Mm. The planet was akin to what Nevok had heard of ferenginar Wet, swampy, covered in vegetation, and every inch damp, moist, and dank. A perfect environment for the quarry he now pursued. He dragged Harry Kim along behind him as he searched who stumbled along. That's too many alongs. What are we even looking for? How do you expect to find them? If I told you it would ruin the surprise, said Nevok, continuing to scan the ground for signs of his prey. Give me your tricorder. That'll ease our path considerably. He snatched the equipment off of Kim's belt and began and started scanning. A smile on his face. Found it. Let's go, Harry. They continued that way, Nevok dragging Kim behind him up a grassy, slick hillside. Nevok knew the signs of a nest, and he, would- and he knew that if there were eggs, then the mother would have no option but to return. He would just have to wait and he'd already waited a very long time. Not wanting to take any chances, he gagged Kim then, using a long, viney tendril from a nearby tree. I can't have you doing anything to warn the captain or Paris when they come back, he explained as he tightened the vine around the back of Kim's head. Their hearing won't be as good as it was when they were human, but you could still manage to thwart my plans. And now, a little insult to go with injury. Let's take care of these eggs. What better way to strike at a mother's heart? Harry watched in horror as Nevox stomped on the nest, crushing the eggs under his feet. The monster laughed maniacally, humming a little tune as he stomped the life out of Janeway and Paris's biz- bizarre progeny.
0: No, I love them. Sorry, they're dead. No! <laughs> <laughs>
2: Don't love them, they're dead. It was mid-afternoon, the sun still high in the sky when his patience was rewarded. He watched gleefully as she came into view. It was Janeway, her amphibious skin gleaming in the sun as she approached, <laughs> thinking only of caring for her young. Womp womp. Never suspecting the doom that had already befallen them and awaited her. As she crawled closer to the nest, she could see the destruction. She hurried her pace, horrified and ignoring all of her instincts that danger had to be close by. Harry started to cry out against his gag. The muffled sound was enough to warn Janeway, who looked up, alarmed, just in time to see large, eager hands reaching for her. Nevok grabbed her by the throat and raised her up, a wicked grin spreading across his wrinkled, ungodly face. (laughs) Welcome home, mommy, he hissed, his face centimeters from hers. I hope in all your hyper-evolved glory you can understand me. I hope you understand that the S of of Vengeance is visiting you, and with him comes death. He began to tighten his grip on her neck then, his smile disappearing and replaced by a grimace. The only question now is, do I choke the life from you? He looked north, stopping by a sheer cliff face and looked down. He whistled appreciatively. That's quite a fall, Janeway. What do you think would happen to your soft salamander body if you fell? Six hundred feet? Seven hundred? Shall we find out what would be left of you then? Yes. Watching you drop like a stone might be even more enjoyable than choking the life from you. It was as the monster stood, peering over the edge, that a second large salamander crawled out of the dense leafy underbrush. The father, Tom Paris himself, returning home after the hunt. He had a large fish in his mouth. No doubt ready to provide for himself and Janeway. It dropped from his mouth in shock at the sight before him. Seeing his mate in danger, Paris leapt. His years as a pilot served him well, and his timing was perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Nevok. Sorry, Caitlin, pause for laughter. I love it. Nevok, shocked, dropped Janeway from his grasp and was knocked off balance and fell over the cliffside. (laughs) A soul-splitting scream rending the otherwise quiet air. Harry watched in horror as Paris and Nevok disappeared. Tom! No! <laughs> he ran to the cliff's edge and peered over, searching fruitlessly for any sign of his friend. He when ran. Did he,
0: when did he get off the, off the tree?
2: He wasn't who? Harry. He wasn't on the tree, he's just gagged. Oh, he's just
0: gagged, okay.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, laid... right, my bad. Yeah, yeah, no, it's cool. No, it's okay, believe me, because I... I'll get into it later. Great. He mm-hmm. ran then to the captain, checking her over. She didn't look to have sustained any meaningful injury, but she laid there, despair clear, even on her amphibious face. <laughs> Harry rested a hand on her back, her skin cool and slick. I'm so sorry, Captain. There was nothing I could do. And now poor Tom. But there came a strange sound then, somewhere between a coo and a chirp. Harry turned and saw one clawed webbed foot emerge from the cliff, followed by another, and then a large, slick head. The beast's mouth opened and another chirp came, the eyes pleading. Tom, Harry cried, and jumped up. <laughs> Running to pull his friend over the edge. Tom, thank God! Janeway rushed forward, nuzzling her muzzle against Tom's. Harry smiled at the reunion and tapped his comm badge. Voyager, I found the captain and Tom. Three to beam up. (laughs) It would be weeks before Janeway would speak again. She often had tears in her eyes. The loss of her unborn children still haunting her more than the experience of being threatened by Nevok. Trapped in a strange body and on a strange planet could... They might have won the war in defeating Nevok and avoiding the captain's own demise, but this particular battle was lost, and Janeway would not soon forget it.
0: Oh, of course, salamander babies. I know, right?
1: All, all I could picture when he said his years as a pilot served him well was that the lizard Tom was wearing one of those old-timey oh, leather pilot hats.
2: He had a bomber hat on, yeah. Yep. Oh. See, I was hoping it was like, hat.
3: you know like those lizards that have webbing? Like a... Like, um,
2: Oh, those, those, those... flying squirrels. Like he was gonna... uh, No, just his... Oh, I wish. No, I didn't even think of that. That would have been brilliant. But I
0: I love
1: the idea of, like, action movie, like, clawing way up the Mm. thing, but it's fucking Tom Lizard. That's amazing.
0: (laughs) Go, Bart Jr. Go, Chirpy Boy. (laughs) Chirpy Boy.
2: Um, so when I first started writing this, I was like, yeah, Neelix is gonna, like, go after the salamanders, and then I had, like, Janeway and Paris on the bridge, and I was like, wait, no, they can't be on the bridge, they're lizards... Shit. <laughs> so I had to rewrite it. And actually, initially, initially, I had joked with Liz that I was just going to make lizard porn. Like, oh, I was legitimately, like, oh, looking God. up. I was looking up lizard mating rituals. I was doing the Jesus. whole You thing. really fucked up your Google
1: algorithm for this.
2: So tell us more. Tell when us you say more. fucked up, do you mean made it great? Because tell that's. Us, tell us about these mating rituals. Can
1: Man, we could have gotten the scalies.
2: I don't know what that is. It's like a
1: furry, but lizard anthropomorphized lizards instead of anthropomorphized so people
2: who like to fuck Cardassians yes yeah. because we're right here hello <laughs> <laughs> the scalies right. are here already they've heard and so like yeah so initially it was just gonna be lizards fucking and then I was like that's not really I'd still allow it that's not porn that I wanna write <laughs> 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 that isn't it Plus, I couldn't really find anything very interesting. Like, there isn't, it isn't, like, with birds where they do, like, really, like, I mean, there's stuff, but it's not as interesting. No, no dances and
0: Yeah, it wasn't as exciting,
2: and I was just like, well, and then I was like, well, it sucks that she killed Tuvix, and I was like, what if someone else really thought it sucked that she killed Tuvix? <laughs> like a Tuvix himself. Like Tuvix. Like <laughs> Tuvix. Yeah, um, decided to call him Nevok was something that happened at like two in the morning when I was really tired, so sorry. <laughs> no, that's a good decision. That's oh, a good oh, yeah. That's the it best. It helps distinguishes between the two. Mm, it, it does. Fun. So anyway, that was my fan fiction.
3: Yay. Thanks stuff. for listening. What was the
2: title? Mm, Nevok, I guess. There we go. Nice. <laughs> the
3: Wrath of Nevok. Mm.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so I'm gonna go next,
0: and I got you a Chakotay story, and y'all are just reading one okay. thing a piece, so it should be easy. It won't be easy. And I'll read the stage directions and, them, and the one minor character and the character that has no lines. Great. Uh, so this is a Chakotay story. It's been my mission in life to write a Chico- to write Chakotay well, and we'll see how much I succeed. TBD. Listen Listen on, folks. It's teleplay style, and it's called We Live on the Highway. Exterior, a group of people, many of Native American descent, with some other humans and aliens scattered around, are at what is clearly the, ta- clearly the tail end of an outdoor ceremony in the town center on Dorvan 5. Mode of dress is varied among them from ceremonial to formal to casual, though the mood is mostly funereal. Chakotay, younger than he is in the series and without the face tattoo, enters in a Starfleet uniform looking out of place. A young Native American woman, his sister, Sakea, is nearby in the group. She has the traditional face tattoo of their people.
3: Sakaya!
2: Sakaya notices him and comes over.
3: Seems I'm a little late.
2: Now why am I not surprised you'd miss the entire service?
3: I may have timed it that way. Services make me uncomfortable.
2: I remember. But still, he'd have wanted you here.
3: He would have understand these kinds of things aren't from me.
2: You missed my singing. Well,
3: in that case, I regret not being here for that. Really? You always had such a lovely singing voice.
2: I didn't think you'd noticed. Of course I noticed. You were never around, after all. Seki, don't
3: be that way. I'm here now, aren't I?
2: Doing the bare minimum for his memory. I'm sorry, that's not fair of me. It's been a very emotional couple of days. I am glad you're here now, Chicote.
3: I'm sorry I wasn't here sooner.
0: They hug. I've missed you.
3: I've missed you, too.
0: They release from the embrace. Shakote
2: looks at her face questioningly. Like,
3: when did you get that? What? The tattoo.
2: I've had this for years now. Really? It has been a long time since you've been home. You
3: got it for him?
2: I got it for me. And for our people. We're really struggling now.
3: I know. I, I wish there was something
2: Save it. Starfleet can't do anything about the Cardassian occupation anymore. They've got their precious treaty they can wave like a white flag in our faces while we get attacked and killed. But you don't want to hear about this.
3: Actually, I do want to hear about it. Whether I'm Starfleet or not, this is important to me.
2: That's good to hear, but it's not going to amount to much if you can't act for us.
3: I just got here. I don't know what you expect me to- We're
2: dying here. People are getting killed because they stand up to the Cardassians- you know that's what happened to Dad, right?
3: I know. I know Dad was Maquis.
0: And so am I. Chacote's expression withers at this news, and he
2: stares worriedly at her.
3: I-, I didn't realize.
2: Like I said, it's been a long time. Come on, there's some stuff at the house he left for you.
0: Scene transition to interior, a simple house on Dorvan 5, sparsely furnished with various anthropological decorations about, Chakote and
2: Sakeya enter.
3: Dad never got his doorknob fixed, huh?
2: He liked it this way. Made him feel at home. That
3: sounds like him, all right.
0: He looks around for a moment, taking in the home he hasn't occupied
2: in many years.
3: I hope he wasn't expecting me to take any of these... Tchotchkes. Tchotchkes. I just don't have any space for them.
2: No, I'm taking all his archaeological findings. But there is this... From somewhere,
0: she pulls out a very worn le- leather bundle, their father Kolopak's med- medicine
2: bag.
3: Oh, no. Not in a million years.
2: He wanted you to have it.
3: I'm not taking it.
2: Chakotay.
3: You know, that's just like him. Even from beyond the grave, he finds a way to slap me in the face. I
2: don't think that's how he meant it.
3: But he knew that's how it would come across. He knew for decades this isn't me. This spiritual bunkum. This, uh, I'm a scientist, not, not a shaman, and... And this is just his final way of saying he disapproves, and I can't do anything about it.
2: Watch what you say, Chicote. Some of us still value this spiritual bunkum, as you call it.
3: Belief is a very personal choice. You can have it if it's what you're drawn to, but you can't impose it, uh, impress it upon other people.
2: You should at least take it to honor his memory.
3: No. He had his chance to accept me while he was alive. He doesn't get to dictate to me now.
2: You had your chance as well. You'll never have that again.
3: There was nothing more to say.
2: I find that really sad. Why don't
3: you take the medicine bundle?
2: Because I have my own. Ugh. Fine. Have it your way. You're really not going to like this then. There's still the matter of what becomes of this house.
3: That's none of my business.
2: As the oldest child, you're bequeathed its title. I waive that right. Don't be too quick to decide. This is our people's home. You can't separate yourself from that connection.
3: I have no connection to this place.
2: You were born here. Home
3: doesn't have to be where you're born.
2: What did Dad used to say?
3: Right. Home is wherever you happen to be. That's me. That much I agreed with.
2: In the future, you may want somewhere like this to live.
3: I have a place to live.
2: A starship is not a home. You can't build a relationship with a starship.
3: You wouldn't know that.
2: No, but it's just a means to an end. It's like a a vehicle that travels the highway to your destination. On the path of life, there's a place to which you are compelled, where you can hold a deep, meaningful connection. You'll reach that place one day. Why?
3: So the Cardassians can blow it up from underneath me? What kind of home is that?
2: Chakotay.
3: Sakaya... This is a war-torn planet full of enemies that don't care about you. I wouldn't want to live here even if it does survive the Cardassian occupation. I've made my choice. I told Dad this. I'm Starfleet now, and that highway you're talking about? That's where I live. For us, the journey doesn't require a destination because the path itself is our home. We live among the stars. We live on the highway. And that's what I've chosen to do.
0: The sound of commotion from outside draws their attention.
3: What's that?
0: Sakeya looks at him, her eyes wide. They go outside. Exterior, the town center area, where Cardassians, including Gul Evek, are harassing townspeople. Hover drones of Cardassian design are whizzing about the place.
1: I told you, people, your time is up. You should have vacated this planet while you had the chance.
0: This wasn't part of the agreement, Evek.
1: The agreement allows for us to commandeer the materials and land of this planet under certain circumstances. All your little attacks against us have given us the option to take this village as an emergency operations center.
0: What's going on? They're transforming the planet.
2: Transforming?
0: One of the drones flies over to a well or something in the town (laughs) center, and beams of light emanate from it, covering the well. The well is transformed into a Cardassian-looking equivalent of the well, with neck ridges and everything. (laughs) (laughs) They're turning it into a Cardassian
2: base camp. You can't do this! Don't
1: get in our way, girl.
2: According to the agreement, you cannot remove us from the planet. It's very clear about that.
1: Who's removing anyone? I didn't say we were removing any of you. But since your Marquis, whom I'm certain some of you here are working with, have destroyed our colony on Garatus, we are extending our rights to this territory.
0: Where are we supposed to go?
1: It's none of my concern. You can live in the woods for all I care. You people are supposed to be good at that, right?
2: This land is our sacred heritage. You can't take it away from us.
3: At least I have them collect their belongings.
2: The Federation has no jurisdiction here. You don't get to speak for us. Very well.
1: We are merciful, after all. You all have one hour. And if you get in the way of our drones, their remote operators will have clearance to defend them. At any cost.
0: Sakea just glares at Chakotay, the way the other townspeople are glaring at Evek as the scene transitions. Exterior, the same town center location, later. The drones are busy slowly turning the town into little Cardassia, While and Sakea watch in horror.
2: They're breaking the accord. You don't know that.
3: So far, everything they're doing follows the treaty precisely.
2: They're transporting weapons. I know it. You can't
3: prove it, though.
2: If I could get into the crates the drones are guarding, I could.
3: You don't know that, and we can't search their property.
2: We've got to do something.
3: If the Maquis hadn't pushed them to this, you wouldn't be in this mess.
2: Excuse you! Thanks for the victim blaming. I'm not. And a- you don't know them. This. this Gullivec, he would have found some other reason eventually to take the village. Cardassians have no sense of ethics. They just find loopholes. It's their specialty.
3: Okay. So you think they're storing weapons here because we specifically can't
2: prove it? Obviously. We can't prove they're breaking the agreement without doing so ourselves.
3: Or getting shot by their drones.
0: Sakeya looks at a nasty burn wound on her
2: forearm. I've already proven that part.
3: So, how do you propose we find this... proof?
2: Oh, no.
0: Chakotay looks to where Sakeya is facing, and one of the drones is entering their father's house. They look at each other before following it in. Interior, Kolopak's house. All the tchotchkes have been removed since the last scene, but the medicine bundle remains on the table. The drone starts transforming furniture left in the house into Cardassian equivalents. Sakea is aghast and furious. Get away from that! Seki! The drone turns as Sakeia comes toward it in a fury. It zaps her with a phaser beam to the shoulder. Sakeia cries out and recoils away, a huge blackened gash on her shoulder showing through her clothes.
2: You shouldn't- Shut up! I can't watch this. You can stay and watch the real demise of our father.
0: She grabs Kolopak's medicine bundle from the table and storms out, leaving Chakotay alone with the drone. The hovering drone trains its little camera eyepiece at him, sizing him up for a moment, then goes back to its work, transforming the house. Chakotay watches for a little while, then also leaves. Scene change to interior, what used to be Mm -hmm. Kolopak's house, and is now a Cardassian storage facility. The same hovering drone as before goes to the front door, scans the exterior with its eyepiece, then returns into the house and vanishes through a doorway. A moment later, Chakotay enters and surveys the damage. He looks around, actually appearing sad about all of this.
3: Perhaps it's a good thing you're not here to see what's become of your home.
0: Then he hears something from the basement. Interior, the basement of what used to be Kolopak's house. The drone is using a transporter to beam some very large Cardassian storage units all over the place. Chakotay enters. Hey! The drone turns in a flash toward Chakotay and shoots phaser beams at him, missing when Chakotay dives out of the way.
3: It's true, isn't it? You are using this planet as a weapons depot, aren't you?
0: The drone shoots him again, zapping Chakotay on the arm. Chakotay winces before standing firm against the floating tech.
3: (sighs) What will I find if I open those boxes? In the name of Starfleet, I'll expose you. Damn the consequences! The
0: drone shoots him again, but Chakote grabs the flying piece of tech out of the air and flings it against a wall, where it collides and falls to the floor, still mostly intact. Immediately, Chakotay runs to one of the storage units and boops some buttons to open it up. What he finds inside, however, isn't weapons, but a cryo unit containing an attractive Cardassian woman in cryo sleep. Chakotay steps back in alarm. What is this?
3: An invasion?
0: The hover drone gets to hovering again and just floats next to Chakotay, as if unsure what to do now. Chakotay opens another crate containing another cryo unit, with a young Cardassian boy in it, followed by a third with another child, also in cryo sleep. Chakotay just looks confused now.
3: What exactly are you doing here? Who are these people?
0: The drone just just floats there. Whoever is remotely controlling it does not have the capacity to communicate through it, its camera lens turns almost instinctively towards some other, smaller containers before focusing back on Chicote. He notices immediately and goes to the stack, opens one, and removes a Cardassian pad.
3: I don't read Cardassian.
0: If a drone could roll its eyes, this one would. Instead, it focuses its phaser, now just a laser pointer, at a spot on the pad. Chicote presses it, and the language, trans- language translates to human English.
3: Sorry, I, I should have known that.
0: He swipes through some screens of text, skimming them quickly as he goes, before stopping on a photograph of a Cardassian family in front of a beautiful verdant valley.
3: Wait a minute.
0: It's the woman and two children in the cryo units. Chakotay compares the image to them and then looks questioningly toward the hover drone. He holds up the image and points to the other figure in the family.
3: This is you, isn't it?
0: The drone hovers closer.
3: This is your family, your... You're bringing your family here to the colony.
0: The drone hovers closer still.
3: Then why all the secrecy? My sister's convinced your your team is up to something.
0: At this, the drone stops and turns away. It hovers around for a while, seeming to check that the coast is still clear. Chakotay reads more on the pad.
3: This was taken on Garatus, the colony that was destroyed. So you're refugees... I need to tell Sakeya.
0: The drone immediately turns and shoots Chicote again a little, then menacingly blocks the stairway out of the cellar.
3: Okay, okay. Cool your jet. Stop shooting me.
0: The drone stares him down.
3: I don't understand. It isn't against the treaty to send colonists to this village. So why wouldn't Golivek just
0: tell us this? Chicote looks through some more things from the crate. Family belongings, photos, some rations and survival stuff. It dawns on him.
3: Because you're not supposed to be sending people here, is that it?
0: The drone takes a long look at Chakotay before it focuses on the woman in the cryo unit. You effect
3: is up to something, and you knew no one would be allowed to check these containers.
0: The drone doesn't respond.
3: So you're using it as cover to emigrate your family out of Cardassia?
0: He's starting to get frustrated, talking to a machine that can't answer him. The drone is close to the glass of the cryo unit, focused on the woman inside.
3: That's it, isn't it? How can I help? Are are there others transporting their families too? Do, Do they need...
0: Suddenly, the drone glitches out. Its light blinks off, and it collapses to the floor with a clank.
3: Wait, I... What's wrong? Oh, no!
0: Chakotay picks up the drone off the floor and is suddenly off and running through the house, taking the basement stairs two or three at a time, before running out into the town square. Exterior, the same town center as before. Evek, Saqqaia, and some Cardassians and townspeople are milling around.
3: What happened to the operator of this drone? The one that was assigned to my father's house?
1: It's none of your concern, Commander. And that is no longer your father's house.
3: What did you do to him?
1: I told you not to interfere with our work. That there would be
3: prices to pay. You arrested him, didn't you? One of your own people. He will be made an example of. He was just trying to help his family who lost their home. This wasn't meant to be their home. They obviously needed somewhere. Why not here?
0: sakeya takes notice of this. Like
3: I said, Dorvan
1: 5 has already been designated as an emergency operations center, not a refugee
2: camp. You mean designated as a weapons depot.
1: <laughs> that drone operator was too impatient. Which is very unbecoming for a Cardassian. It's their right. It's still treason. Perhaps I should be thanking you for helping us uncover it. So what? You'll just execute him? Don't you people have any compassion? We do what's best for the whole of the Cardassian Union.
0: The drone in Chakotay's arms buzzes back to life, but there is something clearly different about it. Maybe its lights are a different color now. It zips away back into what was Kolopak's house. Don't. He runs off after it, back into the house. Evek and Sakea follow. Interior, the basement again. The drone floats there, in front of a space where all the storage units had been moments ago. chakote mortified, stares at the now-empty space as Evek and Sakea enter.
3: What will happen to them? What must be
1: done. They knew the stakes for defectors.
3: They weren't defectors. They were just looking for a place to live. They have a right to that. They...
0: Chakote, exhausted, takes in the emptiness of the room and his expression changes to one of despair.
3: Oh my god. My father's dead.
0: He drops to his knees as if taking on a huge weight. Sakea comes forward, kneels, and puts her arm around his shoulders. Evek looks smugly at this before exiting with the drone. This
3: was our home. Yes. This is what you were talking about, why the Maquis resist. Yes. How can they do this to their own people who are suffering?
2: How can we do what we do to our people
0: who are suffering? Chicote takes this in, his eyes well with tears.
3: I never got to say goodbye.
2: No one's stopping you. I'm
3: sorry. I'm so Sorry.
2: He
0: clutches at Sakea, and the two of them mourn together as the scene changes. Exterior, the town center. Many of the townspeople and their stuff are being beamed away to somewhere. Sakaya is talking to the townswoman from earlier. Where will you go? I have friends who will take me in, for now, until we get this place back. I'm humbled by your optimism. I've seen worse than this little one. We're a strong people, or perhaps I'm just stubborn.
2: I believe it may be both.
0: <laughs> they laugh at this. I'll see you again soon. Taps and badge. Beep, beep. I'm ready. The woman beams away as Chakotay enters and comes up to
2: Sakea. Your ship is waiting for you.
3: They're not going anywhere. I wish I could spend more time with you, Seki.
2: I'd like that too.
3: I want to do more. I, I really do, e- even if Starfleet won't.
2: I'm glad to hear it. I knew you had a good head on your shoulders once you cleaned the cobwebs out of it.
3: Can you put me in touch with someone?
2: Someone Maquis? Right. I know a woman. Sveta? She's even more radical than I am, if you're sure about this.
3: I am. I don't know what I'll do yet. I want to do things my way, but I'd like to talk. It's a step. What's happening to this place, it's... Not right. It's not. Our people
2: have a right to a home.
3: All people have a right to a home, wherever they make it.
2: Hmm. When you go back, take this with you? She produces
0: the medicine bundle and looks at him expectantly.
3: I don't think so.
0: Oh, I thought maybe...
3: Maybe I'll make my own.
0: Saqqea smiles. For him?
3: For me. He could never make me do anything I didn't want to do myself. But I'm starting to get a picture of what I want. And I want to think about where my path in life is going.
2: Path in life? I thought you didn't think that stuff mattered. You live on the highway, right?
3: I do. I think. I just want to have a better view along the way.
2: End of thing! Yay!
0: Yay.
3: Oh, Chakotay. That guy the
1: scene we should have gotten in that episode.
0: (laughs) That's what I wanted to write. I also challenged myself to create a character who had no lines, but Chakotay still had to figure out what was going on.
2: That's fair. It was great. Thank you. Chakotay. Chakotay. bitch. Aww.
3: How Chakotay got his groove back.
2: Pretty Mm. much. How Chakotay got his groove. Period. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
3: Yeah, dive in with mine
1: then? Let's do it. it. Alright, so Caitlin and I did not consult together beforehand, which I only say because Just, mine also has some dimension hopping. Did
2: you steal my idea?
1: No, Just, but I did do dimension hopping.
0: How many salamander babies? None. What? How many Table
3: iterations thing? of Tuvix? None. Oh.
2: Well, there's no iteration of Tuvix left at the end of mine and no salamander babies at the end of mine, so mm. we're pretty much the same so far.
1: So mine is prose format, and it's called Harry, Kim, and the Multiverse of Sadness. (laughs) (laughs) Commander Kim! A stern voice snapped. Hmm? Harry glanced away from the news program that had been going on about Admiral Picard christening a new stargazer to see Danny Bird standing nearby. Hmm. Captain Bird! Harry stood up from his barstool and snapped off a very formal salute. Bird returned the gesture. The two men stared stiff-jawed at one another for a long, tense moment. Bird cracked first, and within moments the two were chuckling and taking seats together at the bar. Harry fucking Kim. It's been too long, you son of a bitch. It's New Trek, they swear now.
2: <laughs> How many boobs? All of them.
1: Well, if you weren't out gallivanting across the Gamma Quadrant, hey somebody's got to pick up where we left off. Exploring, making first contact. After so long of keeping to ourselves, or building the fleet. It's good to be Starfleet again. The Starfleet I signed up for. Yeah. Kim glanced at his glass. It was strange when we got back. So much damage from a war we'd missed completely. Yeah, who knew being stranded 70 years from home would be the good option, huh? Suppose so. Harry took a drink. So, how is it out there? Yeah, a real mixed bag. So many worlds still trying to really understand not being under Dominion control. When you've been under a boot heel as long as some of them have, uh, A couple decades is nothing. But there's so much new. So much exciting. He paused. You know, my first officer just got promoted. Getting their own ship. Own assignments. Yeah? What do you mean, yeah? Do I have to spell it out? No, I suppose not. He sighed. It's been a long time since I served on a ship, Danny. I'm out of practice. Come on, Harry. You really want to spend the rest of your career squeezing some extra percentage of efficiency out of engines? Tweaking nacelles and warp fields? Is that really what you signed up for? No, but... I don't know. I saw a lot more than a lot of folks would have on this job back on Voyager. I'm a little... explored out? I guess that's fair. Bird stood and patted his shoulder. Look, I won't spend all night trying to sell you on it. I have until Tuesday to tell them who I'm picking. Let's get some dom in and talk about anything else. Sounds good. Harry grabbed his drink and got to his feet. So, how are Libby and the kids? He couldn't remember the last time he'd woken up with a hangover. Maybe that time he and Paris hit Riza after the divorce? This was far, far worse than that, though. It felt more like coming out of anesthesia, in fact. Ah, huh, you're finally up. What? Huh? Harry forced his eyes open and sat up. Wherever he was, it wasn't his apartment. It looked not entirely unlike a pretty standard Starfleet brig. He looked at the doorway and its glowing force field generator to see a woman standing there wearing an odd all-black outfit. here, he slurred, discovering his jaw was a bit numb. My name isn't important, so you may call me Sloane. I represent Section 31. (laughs) Harry snickered and Sloane raised her eyebrows. What is so amusing, Commander? There you go. He flexed his jaw a bit. Sure. Some <clears throat> damn joke they make up to screw with Academy recruits. Ultra black ops doing horrid things in the name of protecting the Federation. Higher ops know all about you. Pretend you don't exist. They don't need to condemn you. Blah, 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 blah. Started as a joke. Now you're a fringe conspiracy theory. In other words, Sloane, who put you up to this? This isn't Danny's style. Not a bit much even for Tom. I don't think he's even on Earth right now. She flashed a tight smile. The most tedious part of dealing with Starfleet officers convincing them we're real, so I think I'm going to just jump right to the demonstration. She lifted a hand and Harry saw a small controller there. Her thumb flexed and he heard a small beep from his right arm. He glanced down to see a dark band wrapped around his bicep that had a pattern flashing across its tiny display. There was a flash, a noise like inverted lightning, and suddenly the air reeked of smoke and cold wind was whipping him. He was outdoors, perched on a hill that seemed to be made mostly of a crumbled rock. He looked up again and saw something that couldn't be real. It was a ruined city, but just enough was intact for him to know straight away that it was San Francisco. He leapt to his feet and the loose rocks gave way, nearly causing him to collapse again. He spun in place, taking in a brown ocean pounding against slag that had once been the Golden Gate Bridge. Then the device on his arm beeped again. There was another flash and noise, and he was staring at a wall. He was back in the cell. He turned, seeing Sloane standing by the door still. What the hell was that? He demanded The dimension was closely connected to our own over a century ago. Captain Kirk dubbed it the mirror universe, silly name, but it stuck in his time. Earth was the seat of a huge human supremacist empire, and ours its a desolate hellscape created when the races humanity had been oppressing, realized there were more of them and did what they had to do. You know I'm aware what a holodeck is, right? Come now, Commander, you're a smart man. Even the most realistic holodeck simulations are a bit off in ways people can't quite explain. Can't quite put their finger on. Did you feel that way at all? I feel that way right now, he lied, but mostly because I'm still hung over. Hmm. She glanced away and nodded at someone Harry couldn't see. The hum of the force field, previously just a part of the background noise, became obvious in its absence. Sloane stepped forward and pulled a small hollow projector from her belt. Harry took it and pressed the activation key on it. A small screen appeared. He saw himself viewed through a chest-mounted camera. He was in the hallway of his apartment building and very close to his door. There was no sound, but he watched himself reacting to a noise. The projected him turned just in time to try and fail to block a hand from pressing a hypospray to his neck. He watched his image crumple to the floor and two people dressed quite a bit like Sloane begin to collect him before the image went dark. A bit much for a gag, wouldn't you say, Commander? Let's pretend this is true. What do you want? And what was the point of that little trip? Oh, Starfleet has begun exploring again. Its war weariness and fear caused by the Martian android uprising is passing, which means we're going to start making serious enemies again. Even without a homeworld, the Romulus built up a very impressive fleet in a very short amount of time. You never know when the Klingons will fly off the handle again. And someone is going to come out on top in the Chaos and the Gamma Quadrant sooner than later. We need to be ready for that. And interdimensional travel ties into that. How? There are countless realities. It's been a theory for some time, and we've been sure of it for quite a while now. Surely some of them have technology the likes of which we can't imagine. We want you to go looking for us. Why me? Jumping between realities is more than a little difficult. It's based on technology so secret that Starfleet forgot and even had it. <laughs> even we only stumbled on the files a few years ago. It was a failed attempt to replace warp drive with something that could get you instantaneously to any point in the galaxy. Only two scientists truly understood the theory. One died during testing. The other, who actually got it to work, vanished into the future. <laughs> the notes were extensive, but our best minds are still struggling with it. But in the process, we managed to stumble on a way to make interdimensional travel quite a bit simpler. And someone like you makes it even easier. She smiled in a way Harry didn't like at all. (laughs) Your quantum signature is like very few others. Because you're not you. What do you mean? Well, you are. But you're not. Voyager was once split into two ships. Identical in every way. One was destroyed. The one you were on. The Voyager that survived had lost its Harry Kim, and you were sent there to replace him. She tilted her head. In short, you're special. Isn't that nice? (laughs) <laughs> it also means it's easier to send you across dimensional divides than it is other people. And I'm supposed to bring back super weapons from another reality. If you want to be dull about it. Suddenly there was the noise of the device going off again, but this time it wasn't his own. Harry was suddenly aware of someone next to him. And he turned to see an unfamiliar curly-haired man in civilian clothes standing there, pointing a <laughs> oh. phaser at Sloane.
2: Yay!
1: <laughs> Sorry, he's not interested. The man snapped before grabbing Harry's arm. "'Harry heard the familiar device activation noise again, and there was another flash and crack, and... "'We're still in the cell.' "'Yeah, different one, though,' the man replied. "'He reached up and tapped an unseen comm badge. "'I've got him! Let's go!' "'Suddenly there was the hum and tingle of a transporter, and in a few moments the view fuzzed into the interior of one of the new model runabouts. "'Harry had been part of the team that had worked on its warp core, so he knew it instantly. "'The other man was already moving towards the controls, where a young woman in a Starfleet uniform was sitting.' Right, let's go. Not long until this universe's Section 31 tries to figure out what their censors just saw. Cloaking now, the woman replied, setting course and laying in. Okay, now who are you? Harry asked, making his way towards one of the empty side seats. Name's Miles O'Brien, the man replied. This here's Molly. (laughs) Commander, the young woman said, glancing over at him. And what's going on? Well, unfortunately, everything Section 31 said is true. I first ran into the bastards during the Dominion War. Thought I was done with them until they jumped me a few weeks ago. Gave me the same job offer they gave you. How did you get away? Had a little help, came Miles' voice, but from behind Harry. <laughs> he spun around and saw O'Brien there again, in different clothes and maybe looking a bit more haggard. My side of the mirror had gotten pretty good at popping back and forth between our dimension and yours. We became aware of the signals coming from Earth. We had some folks keeping an eye on it when they dropped my counterpart to the remains of our San Francisco and got him out before they pulled him back. Call him Smiley. It avoids confusion. Miles said. We were in a pretty similar room down there. Harry said, deciding just running with all this would be easiest for now. So this isn't our universe, or the mirror universe. This is what we've taken to calling the Narada universe. Molly said, not looking up from her control panel. It's almost as closely linked to ours as the mirror universe because it was caused by a cross-dimensional trip taken by a Romulan mining vessel shortly after the destruction of their homeworld. Oh no. Not too different from ours, Miles said, pointing out the window. Harry looked and saw the familiar sight of space dock. Only well, it was maybe a bit more a solid white than its usual bluish white. And there was something else, but he couldn't quite puzzle it out. We're about twice as far away as you think we are, Miles said. You thought our space dock was big. This thing's a monster. Have to be to fit the ridiculous starships they build, Smiley says this time. Their is class is two-thirds bigger than ours, Miles added. That... why? <laughs> Harry asked, looking over to Miles. Damned if I know. He shrugged. Blue Bessard collectors too. <laughs> 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 Just looks wrong. <laughs> Coming up on the Enterprise, Molly said. Harry looked back out the window and saw a positive behemoth of a ship swing out from behind space dock. He could see the registry on the underside. NCC-1701G. Seems their universe was a little ahead of his in that regard. A quiet beeping came from the runabout's console, and Molly poked a control. Coded signal confirmed, she said. Enterprise, this is Chief O'Brien. Signal confirmed. Welcome, Chief, came the reply as a screen lit up with a face Harry was surprised to know. Data, the soon-type android that had been the basis for synthetic life forms in his universe, long since lost on a mission to Romulus. Did you achieve your goal? We got Kim. kid. Excellent. "'Remain cloaked, and we will open Shuttle day 3.' "'The ship had been a maze of plasticky white corridors, "'and the bridge was a <laughs> little, was little different. "'Just an endless expanse of white and chrome, "'round walls curving into a smooth ceiling. "'Harry couldn't tell if it was actually more advanced "'or just over-designed.
0: <laughs> "'But
1: if the former, it was definitely the kind of thing "'Section 31 would be after. "'The Admiral is waiting in my ready room,' Data said, "'turning in his chair to face them "'as the turbolift doors snapped shut behind them. "'Tanks,' Miles replied. They made their way to the door, and Harry could hear muffled sounds coming from behind it. Molly pressed the door chime, and they waited. The muffled noises continued from behind the door, but nothing else happened. The Admiral is quite fond of classical music, but has a bad habit of playing it a little too loud, Data said. I shall let you in. The door slid open, and a torrent of guitar and drum music blared out at them, along with someone screeching, Highway to Hell. (laughs) Sitting at the desk, eyes closed in contemplation, was Admiral Jean-Luc Picard. The door closed, and he finally (laughs) opened his eyes. Computer, pause, he said, and the music stopped. Sorry about that. Didn't hear you come in. Please have a seat. Would anyone like some iced tea? Based off a wonderful old earth product called Brisk. Very refreshing.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> there was some mumbled no thank yous as everyone dropped into a chair. Picard let his gaze fall onto Kim. Amazing. Sir? Kim asked. I knew you in this universe. Picard's smile grew sad. "'Excellent, officer. Served under me for a time. "'Sadly, you... he didn't survive the Dominion War.'
3: "'Oh.
1: Now, Commander, you're already aware of what's going on.' Picard stood. "'Your Section 31 is planning on making incursions into other universes. "'They'd prefer it be with your help, but they'll manage it no matter what.' "'We can't let them do that,' came another voice. "'Harry spun and found that he was facing himself. "'Is that really what I sound
3: like?' (laughs) he
1: said. "'Apparently,' the other him replied. Captain Kim here is from a universe a bit more disconnected from our own. They have quite the jump on both of us. The technology that powers your dimensional transporter worked in mine, quickly, and became widespread. We're already exploring the Andromeda Galaxy. Jesus, one of the O'Briens whispered. (laughs) Harry hadn't been looking, so he wasn't sure which. (laughs) The balance of power in your universe would be ruined if it fell into Section 31's hand. It would almost assuredly go to their heads, Picard added. You can't be sure they'd end up content to simply protect the Federation... "'Miles said. They might decide they want it to spread. "'Possibly beyond the boundaries of our universe.' "'What can we do?' Harry asked. "'Jesus. Uh, I'm going to confuse myself. <laughs>
2: "'We've
1: been studying interdimensional travel for decades now,' the Captain him, replied. "'It's something we're still trying to grasp, but we've got a big jump on your Section 31. "'We found a, a nexus point, a place where they all seem to come together and branch off. "'From there we can detect when an incursion happens anywhere else.' We can investigate and keep them from interfering with other universes, uh, other universes, or your own. We? If you'd like. I have people from countless universes on board. With Section one after you and our universe, would be the safest place to be, Miles said. How about it, Commander? Captain Kim asked. You've not really seen strange new worlds until you've started hopping dimensions. I... He paused. I got another job offer today, too. Let me tell them I've decided not to take it. And... My nice. favorite
0: is when Chris goes off on something that's picked, that pisses him off in the show <laughs> <laughs> and works it into a story. I mean, Absolutely. really, I, I, was, I was distilling, I think,
1: a lot of our opinions. Mm. Mm.
3: I think the most unrealistic part of that story, though, is Harry Kim is a commander.
1: <laughs> he would
3: clearly still be an ensign.
1: So the original idea was going to be him popping between a bunch of different universes and finding out that he was miserable in literally all of them. <laughs> but then I came up with this idea instead.
2: Yeah, That's fun. That's good. All right. I like I liked
0: Kelvin Picard's love of iced tea. Yes. Well, because the Kelvin tea
1: un- brisk baby, the Kelvin universe has product placement. Mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> I tried to. Yeah,
3: I should have tried to work in Nokia, but. All right. So I do Tuvok.
0: Oh, I see. Jake underscore Tuvok is the file name, and then the characters are in. Yeah, the, the characters
3: system. that are highlighted. So it should that be makes more sense. Chris. You should be playing Tuvok. Okie I'll be playing The Patient, Paris, and Torres. Ames, I believe you are The Doctor and Kim. Oh, that's
0: too fun. I can't do either of them. <laughs> uh,
3: and and Caitlin is Janeway and Neelix.
0: Good combo. Jane
3: <laughs> Janevix. Uh, I can read the Sage directions, I guess. Although it might be easier for somebody else, but but that's fine. I can just do it. You're
0: either, uh, either it or don't.
3: I'll do it. I'll do it myself. Okay. All right. So the title is Pilgrimage. Exterior, the starship Voyager. Voyager sits stationary in space. Ahead of it is a small spacecraft, or ahead of it a small spacecraft rotates slowly on an unusual axis. The structure of the ship is distinctly alien, organic in form and covered in what appear to be vines. The craft appears lifeless, an unconscious corpse in the ocean of space. No damage is visible.
2: Captain's Log, Stardate 51422.3 Responding to an automated distress beacon, Voyager has come across a small one-man warp shuttle adrift in space. The pilot has not responded to our hails.
3: Cut to the bridge. Janeway stands at the center of the bridge, the rest of the crew at their duty stations. On the viewscreen, the alien ship
0: lists. Life signs? One life sign, very faint. It's hard to make out.
2: Are you able to get a transporter lock?
0: I think so. Stand by.
2: Can you identify the ship?
1: Negative, Captain. The design configuration does not match any vessel we've encountered before. The hull appears to be composed of a crystallized form of
2: cellulose. I've got a lock. Good work, Ensign. Transport directly to sickbay. Yes,
0: ma'am. Energizing.
2: We don't know who it is we're beaming over. I'd like you to get down there in case they're less than appreciative of our hospitality.
3: Tuvok nods and leaves the bridge via the turbolift. Cut to sick bay. Tuvok enters. The doctor works at a feverish pace in the surgical bay, treating the patient, who is unseen. The doctor turns around to, to load a hyperspray and notices Tuvok standing by the door.
0: I was expecting Lieutenant Paris.
3: Lieutenant Paris is on duty on the bridge.
0: Of course he is. Is this a, uh, is a, is a dedicated nurse too much to ask for?
3: The doctor returns to work, administering the hyperspray to the patient. What is the patient's condition, Doctor?
0: He'll survive, if that's what you're asking. If you're just going to stand there, you might as well help. Hand me that cortical stimulator.
3: Tuvok picks up the stimulator from an equipment tray and approaches the surgical bay. As he nears the biobed, he looks down at the patient and stops, a rare look of shock on his face. Doctor, your patient is...
0: Yes, I noticed. The cortical stimulator, please.
3: Tuvok doesn't move, still processing what he is seeing. The doctor rolls his eyes and takes the cortical stimulator from Tuvok's hands and begins placing it on the patient's forehead.
0: Front of yours...
3: Camera cuts to reveal the patient's unconscious face. The patient is Vulcan. The patient is Spock.
2: But <gasps> <gasps> oh I, I guess that theme
3: might make more sense here.
2: No, I don't know. It's just
3: Actually a different theme would probably make the most sense. You'll see. End of teaser. Alright.
0: We've got Faith of the Heart. Oh, my act, God. act one.
3: Sick bay. Janeway and Tuvok stand beside the biobed observing the unconscious Spock. Paris stands across, scanning Spock with a tricorder. Spock is wearing black robes which resemble those worn by monks. A Vulcan Idic pendant hangs from from a necklace around his neck. The doctor is working at the computer console. He finishes what he's doing and looks
2: up.
0: I've been able to confirm that this man's genetic profile is identical to Ambassador Spock's, according to the Starfleet medical database.
2: As far as I was aware, Spock was last known to be on Romulus only a few years ago. How is it possible that he made it this far into the Delta Quadrant in so little time?
1: Indeed. It defies conventional logic. Perhaps he was pulled here by the caretaker, as we were.
2: Or maybe he knows a shortcut. I'd always hoped I'd get a chance to meet him. Never thought it would be out here.
3: Have you ever met him? Tuvok looks at Paris and raises an eyebrow. Contrary to popular belief,
1: not all Vulcans know each other.
3: Uh, Tuvok lets Paris be embarrassed.
1: (laughs) I did, however, see him once during a reception following the Kittimer incident. He was a close personal friend of my captain. Hold on. You were at the same party and you didn't even introduce yourself? No, Lieutenant, I did not. Vulcans do not share in the human need to engage in idle conversation.
3: (laughs) I think you were just too intimidated to talk to him. I can assure you I was not. The doctor approaches Paris and takes the tricorder away.
0: Thank you, Lieutenant. I have no further need for you at this time. I'm sure you have other pressing duties to attend to.
3: Come on, Doc. This is the Spock. He's a living legend. I want to be here when he.
0: This is sick bay, Mr. Paris. Not a sideshow.
3: Paris leaves. The doctor rolls his eyes.
0: Oh, when I need a nurse, he's nowhere to be found. But when when there's a celebrity in sick bay, he's a regular Florence Nightingale.
2: You'll have to forgive him, Doctor. I think we're all a little starstruck. Torres to Janeway. Go ahead. I've gone over the ship,
3: Captain. I've never seen anything like it before. It's almost as though it was grown instead of built. As far as I can tell, there's nothing wrong with it. Most systems are just powered down. It looks like the distress beacon activated automatically when the pilot lost consciousness.
2: Have you been able to determine anything about where it came from?
3: Not yet. I'm still having some trouble interfacing with the navigational computer.
2: Keep me posted, Lieutenant. How did you get here, Mr. Spock? When will you be able to wake him?
0: Any time. He's suffering from acute neural trauma, but I've always been, but I've been able to stabilize his synaptic pathways for now. I'll need to continue to run tests to determine the cause of the damage, but I can see no reason not to revive him.
3: Janeway nods. The doctor grabs a hyperspray from a nearby tray and administers it to Spock. He slowly awakens and glances around the room, taking it in. He appears confused by what he
2: sees. Relax. I am a doctor. Starship. Yes, you're aboard the Federation starship Voyager. My name is Catherine Janeway. Captain Catherine Janeway.
3: Federation. My name is...
2: uh, Ambassador Spock. We know. Welcome aboard.
3: I was unaware that the Federation extended this far into deep space. It does not. Our ship was
1: marooned in the Delta Quadrant, and we are currently
3: en route back to Federation space.
2: It's a long story. Fascinating. I must ask
3: that you return me to my ship so that I may continue my mission.
2: I'm afraid we can't do that just
0: yet. I'm still treating your injuries.
3: Thank you, Doctor. But that will not be necessary. I am not injured. I'm merely nearing the end of my life cycle.
0: Based on your present physical condition, a Vulcan of your age can expect another 40 to 60 years of life. As long as I can repair your your synaptic pathways, that is.
3: You are correct, sir. However, I... I am not Vulcan.
0: That's true. Genetically, you are half-human, but physiologically...
3: That is not what I meant, Doctor. What I meant was, I am not who I appear to be. Jamie and Tuvok look at each other. Tuvok thinks he might shoot him, so he puts his hand in his phaser.
2: Are you saying you are not Ambassador Spock?
3: In a manner of speaking, I am. My full designation is Spock 5 Tuvok raises an eyebrow. Nice. I am the last in a line of clones created from the original Spock.
2: You're a clone.
3: Indeed. I was created by Dr. Stavos Caniclius Nine.
2: Caniclius? You've heard of this Caniclius,
0: Doctor? Heard of him? He's infamous in the history of medicine. He was a protege of Adam Sung, and a lead gen- geneticist on Project <laughs> Khan. A madman whose work led directly to the Earth's eugenics wars. But he's been dead for hundreds of years.
3: You are quite correct, Doctor. The original Caniclius died many years ago. However, his clones continued his work long after he died.
1: And you are a product of this work.
3: I am. Although I do not agree with my creator's motivations, Caniclius was obsessed with developing a race of superior beings. A master race. Indeed, the first Spock clones were made to be gargantuan. However, that became (laughs) untenable. So I was created to be an exact duplicate of the original Spock.
0: That doesn't explain why you believe you are dying.
3: The cloning process was originally designed for 21st century humans with a lifespan of 80 to 90 years, after which time our cellular structures begin to rapidly degrade, beginning with our neural tissue. I have been traveling in space... Alone, for nearly a century. The doctor begins scanning Spock with the tricorder. The deterioration which caused me to lose consciousness on my ship will continue to progress.
0: He's right. The rate of cellular degradation appears to be accelerating. Without treatment, I would estimate complete synaptic collapse will occur within a matter of weeks, if not days.
3: I am afraid there is no treatment, doctor. Doctor. The flaw is in my design. My only hope lies with completing my mission. That is the second time you've mentioned a mission. May I ask what that mission is? To find God.
0: (laughs) Alright.
3: Int. Mess Hall. Tuvok and Spock sit at a table. Spock stoically studies a pad. A dozen or so crew members sit at other tables, trying desperately not to stare at the legendary figure in their presence.
2: Neelix approaches, carrying two bowls. A little taste of home. This is version eight of my PlumEak <laughs> soup recipe. This time I feel like I've really dialed in the spice ratios. And mister Vulcan, I assure you what happened last time will not happen no. again.
3: I should hope not. Mr Vulcan.
1: Mr Neelix's originality is matched only by his culinary
3: expertise. Neelix appears to accept the backhanded compliment. Spock sets down the pad and samples the soup. Neelix stands by in anticipation of the verdict. Thank you, Neelix. The flavor is quite... unique.
2: I am so happy to hear you say that, Mr. V... Spock. And let me just say, from one ambassador to another, <laughs> it is a great pleasure to have you aboard. If there's anything I can do, or if you'd like a guided tour of... Thank you, Mr. Neelix. That will be all. Say no more. I will leave you both to your work.
3: He leaves. He called me ambassador. They still believe I'm him.
1: Your progenitor is quite accomplished among both humans
3: and Vulcans. To them, you are viewed as a hero. So I've read. You don't. You do not care for your soup, Commander.
1: I have always found Neelix's recipe to be a crude imitation at best.
3: He tastes the soup. Twice
1: though i will admit having to, to have having grown fond of it as an original creation but plomeek soup it is not
3: they continue eating i've never actually eaten plomeek soup i only have the real spock's memories of it he looks at the spoon wistfully and slurps it down delicious i'm surprised that you were able to find this in your database
1: The exploits of the Enterprise and her crew
3: are studied extensively by Starfleet officers. If this is true, then it would appear that I have been heading in the wrong direction. Indeed. Further, the
1: god of Shakari that your... that Spock's stepbrother sought was fraudulent. A malevolent alien masquerading as a deity. And Jim and I
3: already destroyed it. You believe that it is illogical that I should seek a mythical god. The thought had occurred to me. Our
1: people rejected such beliefs centuries ago. Even the original Spock did not share in his brother's beliefs.
3: Do you believe in the Katra? He's surprised by the question and vulnerability with which it was asked, but he doesn't show it.
1: I was raised with the traditional beliefs of our people, including the Katra. Though after immersing myself in the study of logic, I began to harbor doubts.
3: My father, Spock's father, was deeply spiritual for a Vulcan. He passed that spirituality down to his children. Spock largely rejected it as myth and mysticism. Cybok took those beliefs to their extremes. The Katra, though, the essence of the Vulcan mind that persists after death, I have always believed in it. But I, I am not Vulcan. I am not the son of Sarek. I am not Spock. Tuvok realized what he's getting at. Your mission. You are not
1: seeking a cure for your condition. No. You are in search of...
3: salvation. Perhaps now you understand why I sought the ancient gods of our... of your people. Int... Tuvok's quarters, they are meditating. A small lamp sits between them. After a moment, they simultaneously emerge from their meditative state. Were you able to meditate effectively? I was, thank you. I have meditated often in solitude, but to do so with another Vulcan has been an enlightening experience. I have found that sharing in meditation can lead to deeper
1: and more meaningful emotional connections.
3: I'm surprised to hear you say that.
1: Like Spock, I have spent much of my adult life among humans, and have guided many of them in meditation.
3: To them, the shared experience provides comfort. Fascinating. Tuvok stands up and begins snuffing the candles in the room. You said that you'd had doubts about your belief in the Katra. I
1: have found it difficult in recent years to reconcile what I would consider a religious belief with a strict devotion to logic. Logic dictates that as corporeal beings we are nothing more than matter, and that death constitutes the end of our existence. Anything else is superstition.
3: Ironic. In what way? I hold a staunch belief in the Katra, yet, as a clone, I do not believe that I possess one. While you, a true Vulcan, reject the Katra. In essence, what you have but reject is the very thing that I seek but cannot have. What makes you certain that you do not have a Katra? I'm not certain. I was created as an exact duplicate of the original Spock, and his memories were given to me through a synaptic imprint. There is nothing in Vulcan teachings to suggest that a Katra can be copied in this way. I am neither a philosopher nor a theologian. However,
1: I am able to see the flaw in your logic. There is nothing in the teachings
3: to suggest that a Katra cannot be copied either. (laughs) Fascinating that a non-believer would attempt to convince me of the very thing in which he does not believe. Uncommonly empathic for a Vulcan. As I said, I have lived among humans for some time. Spock winces and grabs his temples. Are you all right? Pain! (laughs) He crumples and begins convulsing. Tuvok attempts to brace him. He taps his communicator. Tuvok to sickbay. Medical emergency in my quarters. In sickbay, Tuvok and the Janeway stand in sickbay. The doctor approaches, his face portending bad news. Mm.
0: I'm afraid the neural degradation has continued to accelerate. Accelerate. His synapses are breaking down faster than I can repair them. Is there nothing else you can do? I'm afraid not. He's dying, and he knows it. He's asked to speak with you.
3: Tuvok approaches the biobed where Spock lays. Spock. I don't know why I said Spock, but... There. <laughs> I wanted to thank you, Tuvok. I have never known another Vulcan. Not truly. I do not know if my life essence will end here. But if it does, I will consider myself fortunate to have known you, if only for a short time. With great effort, Spock holds out his closed hand to Tuvok. Spock opens it to reveal the idic pendant he had worn. Tuvok takes it. Without speaking, he takes Spock's hands and lifts it up to his face and moves Spock's fingers into the position for a mind meld. Spock's eyes widen, realizing what Tuvok is doing. Remember. Something changes in Tuvok. His eyes widen, and he instinctively pulls away from the meld. Spock's hand remains where it was, though no longer touching Tuvok. With his final bit of strength, Spock reforms his fingers into the Vulcan salute. Live long, And prosper, my friend. Spock, uh, Tuvok, trembling, returns the gesture. Ellipsis. Spock closes his eyes and lowers his arm. He dies at peace. Janeway approaches the visibly shaken Tuvok. She places her hand on his shoulder.
2: Tuvok, are you okay?
3: I believe
2: so, Captain. What did he give you?
3: He looks down at the Itik pendant in his hand. A gift. The end. What's an Itik pendant? It's the little Vulcan... Triangle and a circle Triangle circle symbol that they like. It's a little necklace that they wear all the time. I liked it. Yeah.
1: I didn't like that I didn't get to say censors. But aside yeah. from that, it's sure good. No,
3: there were no sensors in this, in this story.
1: Yeah, I like that. Unexpected uh, TAS. Yeah,
0: those are the best kinds. And TAS. tying
1: it into sung, because that's exactly what Star Trek would do now.
0: Of course. Yep, A sung in every show.
1: Yep. Yep, yep, yep.
3: Yeah, the original, uh, my original plan before I came up with the spot. Oh, right.
0: You said you had an insane original. Well, that, insane. Would have, that would have been it like have 40 been, minutes long. It just long. would have been a
3: lot tougher to write in a short thing. would have been just that Voyager comes across a colony of Vulcans <laughs> who were like uh, broke away from, from Vulcan around the time of uh, Serac and 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 that um, Tuvok interacts with them. But the, the, the twist was going to, not the twist, but the, the upshot was going to be that uh, Vorik decides to stay behind with, but, with the vault. Sure. get
0: rid of that fucker.
1: <laughs> nice. Well, unless the cat has one, I think that's all of us.
0: Yeah, Cat's been writing all kinds of fanfic.
1: All involves catching mice, though.
0: He all, mm. he really loves Taana in Lower Decks. <laughs> is, that, is that the cat? That's thing? The, that's the cat doctor. Oh, you like the cat thing, huh? She's a good cat thing. He's
3: a good cat thing. Good cat
0: thing. He is. He's the best. She likes cat boxes. Thing. Oh, you've seen the joke.
1: Yeah, it's like a GIF somewhere that uh, I've seen.
0: You're going to miss the one good joke from the show. Well, no, I've <laughs> already seen it. Yeah, but you didn't get to see it in the show. Mm. Uh. Anyway, we're done with that. That's all done now. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>
2: da, 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 da. <laughs>
0: now, thank you so much for joining us. It's always a pleasure creating fanfics one, like, like every year for the anniversary or you know just in general because it's fun and mm-hmm. otherwise i forget to ever write things at all even though it's one of my passions so you can read all these they're going to be up on the tumblr if you wanted to read read along and figure out which things we spelled horribly horribly poorly and which <laughs> things we didn't and check that out the tumblr again is uh sshbpodcast.com holy mm-hmm. crap speaking you other you can follow us on the soundcloud.com or any other application that you listen to podcasts on Next week, we're jumping back into more Voyager stuff. Episodes are going to be... Oh, God. I don't have it in front of me. Message in a Bottle and Hunters.
2: Ha-ha. Mr. Black.
0: (laughs) Thanks, Jake. I don't get it. Simpsons. Oh. Yeah, so listen to those next week. Follow along with all of our other adventures. Listen to all our other fanfics from previous years. They're all up on the Tumblr as well. They're all up on the SoundCloud as well. They're all a lot of fun. Hang out with us on Facebook and Twitter. That's it. This has been Ames slash Chakotay. This has been Caitlin,
1: Kate. and this is always Chris and Chris and another Chris and a third Chris and
0: Captain. And they're all suffering in space. Oh noes! They love brisk. That's brisk, baby.
3: My full designation is Spock (coughs) 5. Tuvok raises an eyebrow.
2: Nice. Sorry, one second. (laughs) Oh, no.
0: Fuck. (laughs) Yeah,
1: just getting an ancient.